preface of the sleeping beauty and other fairy tales from the old french this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org the sleeping beauty and other fairy tales from the old french by arthur quiller couch preface once upon a time i found myself halting between two projects both magnificent for the first indeed which was to discover digest and edit all the fairy tales in the world i was equipped neither with learning nor with command of languages nor with leisure nor with length of years it is a task for many men clubbing their lifetimes together but the second would have cost me quite a respectable amount of toil for it was to translate and annotate the whole collection of stories in the cabinet du fay now the cabinet du fay in the copy on my shelves extends to forty-one volumes printed as their title pages tell at geneva between the years seventeen eighty five and seventeen eighty nine and published in paris by m cuchet rue et hôtel serpente the dates may set us moralizing while the rue serpente unfolded as though tranquilla peralta its playful voluminous coils the throne of france with the ancien regime rocked closer and closer to catastrophe in seventeen eighty nine july just as monsieur cuchet good man and leisurable to the end wound up his series with the last volume of the suite de mille et une vie they toppled over with the fall of the bastille even so in england we may remind ourselves in sixteen fifty three when the gods made oliver cromwell protector isaac walton chose to publish a book about little fishes but the reminder is not quite apposite for angling the contemplative man's recreation was no favourite or characteristic or symbolical pursuit of the order which cromwell overthrew and besides he did not overthrow it whereas m cuchet's forty-one volumes most pertinently as well as amply illustrated some real qualities and those the most amiable of the ancien regime when we think of the french upper classes from the days of louis fourteen to the revolution we associate them with a certain elegance a taste fastidious and polite if artificial in the arts of living and the furniture of life and in this we do them justice but if i mistake not we seldom credit them with a quality which more than any other struck the contemporary foreign observer who visited france with a candid mind i mean their good temper we allow the bastille or the guillotine to cast their shadows backward over this period or we see it distorted in the glare of burke's rhetoric or of carlyle's lurid and fuliginous history but if we go to an eye-witness arthur young who simply reported what he saw having no rhetorical axe to grind or guillotine to sharpen we get a totally different impression the last of young's travels in france seventeen eighty seven to seventeen eighty nine actually coincided with the close of m cuchet's pleasant enterprise in publishing and i do not think it fanciful to suppose that had this very practical englishman found time to read at large in the cabinet du fay he would have discovered therein much to corroborate the evidence steadily and unconsciously borne by his own journals that the urbanity of life among the french upper classes was genuine reflecting a real end for a whole society a remarkable sunniness of disposition unconscious of their doom the little victims played but they did play and they fell victims 
not to their own passions but to a form of government economically rotten of all the volumes in the cabinet possibly the most famous are the first and second containing the fairy tales of charles perrault and madame d'aulnois and volumes seven to eleven containing monsieur galland's version so much better than any translation of the arabian nights i hope that one of those days mr dulac will lay the public under debt by illustrating all these and the stories of antony hamilton to boot meanwhile here are three of the most famous tales from perrault's wallet and one the evergreen beauty and the beast by an almost forgotten authoress madame de villeneuve the ghost of charles perrault could it walk to-day peruque and all might well sigh over the vanity of human pretensions for monsieur perrault was a person of importance in his lifetime sixteen twenty eight to seventeen o three and a bigwig in every sense of the term colbert made him secretary of the academy of inscriptions and anon controller of public works in which capacity he suggested to his architect brother claude perrault the facade of the louvre with its renowned colonnade he flattered his monarch with a poem le cycle du louis le grand je ne sais observes a circle si serois malgré son amour excessif pour la flatterie fut content le bon attente the poem as a poem had little success but by positing that the age of louis was the greatest in history and suggesting that the moderns were as good as the ancients or better it started a famous controversy poilu racine la bruyere honoured him by taking the other side and forced him to develop his paradox in a book of dialogues parallèle du ancien et du moderne but his best answer was his urbane remark for he kept his temper admirably that these gentlemen did ill to dispute the superiority of the moderns while their own works gave proof of it he wrote other poems other tractates including one on the illustrious men of his age besides occasional tracts on matters of high politics and his memories kept alive by one small packet of fairy tales stories which he heard the nurse telling his little boy and set down upon paper for a recreation that is the way with literary fame to take an english example it is odds that southey poet laureate and politician of great self-importance in his day will come finally to be remembered by his baby story of the three bears it will certainly outlive thalaba the destroyer and possibly even the life of nelson as for gabrielle suzanne wife of monsieur de galon seigneur de villeneuve and lieutenant-colonel of infantry whom she outlived she wrote a number of romantic stories le phoenix conjugal le juge parvenu le beau frère supposé la jardinière du vincennes la prince azerole etc i am not perhaps few are acquainted with these works madame de villeneuve died in seventeen fifty five and lives only by grace of her la belle et la bête and that again lives in despite of its literary defects it has style but the style inheres neither in its language which is loose nor in its construction the story as she wrote it tails off woefully and drags to an end in mere foolishness since perrault who is usually accepted as the fountainhead of these charming french fairy stories belongs almost entirely to the seventeenth century it may be asked why mr dulac has chosen to depict his princess and princess in costumes of the eighteenth 
well for my part i hold that he has obeyed a just instinct in choosing the period when the literature he illustrates was at the acme of its vogue but his designs in every stroke of which the style of that period is so unerringly felt provide his best apology my own share in this volume is perhaps less easily defended i began by translating perrault's tales very nearly word for word because to me his style has always seemed nearly perfect for its purpose and the essence of style in writing is propriety to its purpose on the other hand the late monsieur ferdinand brunetier has said that perrault's is devoid of charm and on this subject monsieur brunetier's opinion must needs outvalue mine ten times over certainly the translations when finished did not satisfy me and so i turned back to the beginning and have rewritten the stories in my own way which as you may say with the irish butler may not be the best claret but is the best you've got i have made bold too to omit perrault's conclusion of la belle au bois dormant to my amazement the editor of the cabinet du fait selects this lame sequel it is no better than a sequel of a lovely tale and assigns to it the credit of having established la veritable fortune de ce genre frankly i cannot believe him further i have condensed madame de villeneuve's narrative and obliterated its feeble ending in taking each of these liberties i have the warrant of tradition which in the treatment of fairy-tales speaks with a voice more authoritative than the original authors for it speaks with the united voices of many thousands of children his audience and best critics as the children have decreed that in Saudi's tale of the three bears the heroine shall be a little girl and not as Saudi invented her a good-for-nothing old woman so they have decreed the story of the sleeping beauty to end with the prince's kiss and that of beauty and the beast with the beast's transformation and as beauty and the beast is really but a variant of the immortal fable of cupid and psyche i might had i room to spare attempt to prove to you that the children's taste is here as usually right and classical arthur quiller couch End of preface. Recording by Marisol Quee.